Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. And I just, um, the opportunity to get up here and do this. If, if you guys don't know, my name's Pastor John and typically I, I usually reside about 15 feet to the right of here. Um, but God's been pressing on my heart to teach. Um, and I just want you to know that I do that with great fear in the right way. Um, not so much fear of you, but fear of standing in front of his church and relaying what God, I believe, is saying to us this morning. So first off, I want to recap a little bit about what Pastor A.B. taught us last week. So we learned who Jonah was, okay? So Jonah was a prophet, and we know that he had walked with God way before this book was written. Um, we see in 1 Kings, his name's mentioned. So we know that he was already established. This man already walked with God. And we learned that God called him to go to the city of Nineveh, which at the time was probably the largest city on the planet, at least in the known world at the time. And they were known for being very violent, um, just heathens in every sense of the word. And so he was called alone to go walk into this city and to declare to them that they were evil in the sight of the Lord and for them to repent. Also, mind you, that this city, ruled by King Nimrod, who at the time was so evil, he was rumored and even considered uh, in some circles to maybe be a picture of the first Antichrist. So, like we say, Jonah was, was, was declared by God to walk into this city and to tell King Nimrod and the entirety of Nineveh that they were that their evil had ascended up in front of the Lord. So the weight of that is great. And we also know that Jonah said no, essentially. And where Pastor A.B. had a big picture of a map, we see that as God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, he actually went to Joppa to get on a ship to go as far east to the city of Tarshish as really the, the known world at that time, they, they considered Tarshish the end of the map. So he was literally trying to go as far the opposite direction. 
And so we learned two things. We learned that, like Jonah, there's a lot of run in us. You know, obedient children, there's a lot of times where we, we feel God calling us to do things that we don't want to do or that we're uncomfortable to do. And we also learned that when he went to Joppa, he got on this ship to go to Tarsus. Well, he had to pay a fare to get on this ship. So we also learned that disobedience and walking away from God is going to cost us something every time, all the time. And Pastor A.B. just threw one of those good dart zingers that I even text the pastor group afterward and was just like, man, that was, that was a good statement. And what he said was, if you want to run towards sin and away from God, there will always be a ship to take you there. So church, I want to pray before we get into our text this morning. There's a lot of text, so we're going to hammer through it. We're not going to miss details, but there's a lot of text. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would come and be my mouthpiece. God, I know the prep was there. I know the prayer was there. I know the study was there. But Lord, if you don't come and speak, none of it means anything. And God, I pray that you would just press upon us the weight of this message this morning. And God, that we would learn, truly learn, not to play church and not to, not to make ourselves feel good, but God, that we would truly understand a word for your church this morning. Lord, that you would give us hope that comes only from you. And I just ask it for clarity, and I ask that you would de- increase that I might decrease. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to have some assistance from the screens here, but we're going to be in the book of Jonah, and we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 4, and we're going to read verses 4 through 16. Like I said, it's quite a bit of text, but I want to read through it in its entirety before we talk about it. But the Lord hurled a great wind. Who hurled a great wind, church? The Lord. the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea that is raging against us and the dry land. Then the men who were were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, 
and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Has anyone here ever been in a storm? And I don't necessarily mean like not a physical storm in a ship on sea. I mean, perhaps some of you have. I'm more talking about a true storm to the point that you were unsure that you would or could survive. Maybe it was a, maybe it's been a health issue. Maybe it's been a family's health issue. Maybe it's been, um, you know, the immeasurable weight of the sin of your past. You know, there's a lot of storms. But I'm talking about something much more than a rough day or um, a little bump in the road. While this particular text is very, very clear on where this storm comes from, because the who hurled the wind? The Lord hurled the wind. While this text is very specific on that, we know the source of this storm. Now, God is not always directly the cause of every storm, but in his sovereignty, he allows storms to happen. And what I really want to highlight today, that you know, some storms come from the fallen nature of sin and the environment that it's created that we live in here on earth in our brokenness and our fallenness. And others come from the enemy who literally only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But our plan today, what I really want to highlight today, is that no matter where the storm comes from, God is sovereign over every one of them. He's the one who controls the wind. He's the one who controls the waves. He's the one who made mankind understand how to build a boat that had buoyancy to float in it. So I want to highlight that. Now, after reading this text, for me, there are two different perspectives of this particular storm that I want to highlight today. The first perspective being that of Jonah's. The storm was brought on by intentional disobedience of a believer who knows God's plan, yet still choosing to be defiant. This type of storm was ultimately here to, well, for God to exercise his sovereignty in that he called Jonah to do something. Jonah said no, and God said, it's my will, it's going to happen. So this storm was ultimately there to herd and guide Jonah's disobedience back to God. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you this morning. Maybe you have a specific word from the Lord for your life, a specific task or whatever it might be. And maybe you're avoiding it. Maybe you're running from it. Maybe you're frightened of it. Or maybe it's a more subtle thing. Maybe, maybe you, um, you're constantly struggling because you know at work you're supposed to live by example and you're supposed to be living the words of Jesus as well as speaking them to your co-workers and maybe it's more of a subtle thing where you just know that you were called by the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations and maybe you're not doing that I want you to know that the believer cannot run away from the calling that God has placed on your life he will have his way 
if he's called you, there's no running away from that. And that's encouraging. Because if you belong to him, he will place these storms in your life to shepherd, to guide, to direct your path back where it needs to be. Even in spite of you, in your own sin, in your, in your desire to do everything other than go with God. He knows best. And some things that feel like pain in the temporary are only there to bring about a glory that a lot of us, me included, still don't even fully grasp why we would have it. And he works all things together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you belong to him this morning, and this is your perspective on this passage, I would encourage you to just take heart in that, to know that even in the storm, it's in his sovereignty and in his love and guidance as a father that this storm is here. The second perspective, which is the one I really want to highlight on this morning, is the mariner's perspective. This is the storm that is devastating and essentially out of nowhere. We might not always get to know the origin of all these types of storms like the mariners will learn. They learn their origin of this storm, but it's not always guaranteed for us. These storms can be brought upon from somewhere else entirely and as a result will cause us living and looking for God in the midst of our collateral damage. It can cause us as fallen, confused, and broken people to look for solutions and all kinds of other gods in our storms, whether that be drugs and success or sex or power or comfort. It will cause us to look in all kinds of false places. But we must remember, and sometimes it's hard to fathom, I'm asking you to take off your worldly wisdom and put on heavenly wisdom that we must remember that in God's grace alone is it that we experience these types of storms. See, in this particular text, these pagan, non-believing, non-Hebrew, non-Jewish mariners on this ship would have never known God. They would have never known the God of the Israelites, the God that made the dry land and the sea if it had not been for this storm. And God is sovereign in his power and control that he can use any storm from anywhere to work his will together for those who are called to belong to him. And so we're moving into verse 4. We see that the Lord, again, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And we forget sometimes that just because we think it's hurting and it's bad, our view of what's bad and God's view of what's bad for us are two different things. They're viewed through two different, two different eyes, two different sets of wisdom. And we see that no matter what the circumstances, he's sovereign. We see in Mark 4.40 just another example of the authority and the sovereignty of God. It's a situation very similar to this where the disciples and Jesus are in a boat together and there's, there's a storm that's crashing in upon their boat and they wake, they wake up Jesus and they're like, hey, we're perishing. Like, Teacher, we're perishing. You're going to have to help us. You know what he says? Three words. He speaks three words. Peace, be still. 
and the wind stops, the waves die, he's sovereign. I want to highlight a little bit here in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, I'd, I think the majority of people in here know what I do for a living, but I deal with mariners every day of my life. Um, not so much in this particular instance. This, is, this would be what we would call blue water. In our world, it's brown water that we've got shores on both sides. Um, but I know a lot of blue water mariners through what I do. And I can tell you that if a storm was severe enough that these professional mariners who probably grew up the majority of their lives on a boat working and very comfortable in this environment, when they are casting cargo and casting probably the only belongings they had to their name, these guys would be on, I would, I would assume these guys would be on a ship for months, if not a year at a time. And I can just imagine them so desperate to save themselves that they're hurling their belongings and hurling cargo and hurling anything they had of value just to try to lighten the ship because of the intensity of this storm. And then we see Jonah, which is quite perplexing in the midst of this storm that Jonah is asleep in the belly of the ship. And we see that Maybe, maybe, it's through, maybe it's through just Jonah's past walking with the Lord that he knows, truly knows and understands the sovereignty of God. But it's very evident that he, he is not concerned of himself perishing the same way these mariners are. There's something different. And the captain in verse 6 comes down and wakes him up. And he's like, you know, look, man, we are dying. We are throwing everything overboard. We are going to die. Get up and pray to whoever it is that you pray to because we're all praying to everybody we know to pray to and nothing's happening. And we're, gonna, we're all going to die on this ship. You need to get up and help us in any way that you can. And I do think this is a, this is a little bit of a hard thing to articulate and I'm going to try but I think in the midst of this, we see the first fruits of God working on the hearts of these mariners already. Because they're not just immediately uh, trying to read into the, into the constellations and trying to do science. And they're not trying to figure out how to uh, fix their problem other than desperately throwing things overboard. But we see here that they are immediately sure that this storm is coming from somebody. They're very sure. Call out to your God. There is a God somewhere who is in control of this. And I think that is just a first fruit of God calling the heart of these mariners. And we move to verse 7. And they say to one another, Come, let us cast lots. You know, casting lots is a very interesting thing too, especially in the midst of this storm. I can only imagine you know, 50-foot seas and these guys on deck trying to cast lots in the midst of this, in the midst of this storm. Um, there's a lot of different ways to cast lots. Sometimes they would get a handful of stones that were all the same color except for maybe one or two stones that were a different color and they would throw them down and wherever the stones that were of the color, the abnormal stones, whatever person they went toward would be where the lot fell. Or sometimes, one that we're very accustomed to hearing, they would have a bundle of straw and everybody would draw straws and whoever got the 
shortest straw is where the lot fell. But we don't know exactly what type here, and it's really irrelevant. All we know is that it's a very, in, in nature, it's a very randomized act. But we see here God demonstrating his sovereignty over all things again, and the lot falls exactly where it needs to fall, right on Jonah. So at this point, this stranger who's been asleep in probably the worst storm these mariners have ever lived through, that had to be woken up to be involved, has now had the lots point to them. So these the mariners now at this point, they're like, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. Tell us, tell us, you know, on whose account this evil's come upon us. What's your occupation? Where are you from? What's your country? What people are you? Like they're giving him still in the midst of this storm, they are 21 questioning Jonah. And Jonah's responses in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So I think it's, again, Jonah's responses in a lot of this are something I'm still studying through and still learning. But it's, I think he very intentionally said, I'm the, you know, I serve the God who made this sea that we're sailing in. He's very honest about all of it. He doesn't try, to uh, doesn't try to slack away, doesn't try to hide. And I mean, he, he essentially tells them, as we find out in the next verse, that uh, God is almighty and he is the God of the sea and the dry land. Oh, and by the way, I know this storm is coming upon you because of me, because I'm running from this God who's very specifically given me a task. And so we find at this point, the mariners are terrified. And it makes me wonder too, at this time, at this time in the Old Testament, the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrew people, had already done a bunch of really humongously large, incredible stuff. He had made, uh, you know, I mean, he had parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to leave Egypt. And then he caused that sea to come and collapse and destroy the Egyptian army. I'm sure there were some rumors about that. I'm sure pagan nations knew that and heard about this mysterious God of this small nation that always just came and made a way. And we see, you know, in Joshua, you know, I mean, God calls them to just march around the most fortified city on the planet of Jericho. They didn't touch it. They marched around and blew trumpets and the walls caved in. You know, and we see in 1 Kings where Elijah is, is fighting against the prophets of Baal and he calls for fire to come down from heaven and not only does it consume the sacrifice on the altar, it consumes the altar and consumes the dust and consumes the water nearby. So I, 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 this is my, mostly my speculation, but in this I just think that these mariners possibly have heard some about this God. And when he said, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, they were like, whoa, you know, maybe we've heard, we've heard about that God. So in the midst of all this truth, they look to him and they say, well, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Because the storm was still continuing to rage and still continuing to grow. And then Jonah looks at him, and again, in a, a spirit of 
several different motivations. He says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And so really, I know it's a weird thing, but I see, even in his disobedience, I see a radical faith in Jonah here. Now, we can also argue that maybe he was trying so desperately to get away from the call of God that he's saying, hey, like if these guys throw me overboard and kill me now, I don't have to be obedient later. Maybe the, maybe the fear of what God had called him to in Nineveh was far greater than the fear of dying at sea. I don't really know. Like I said, I'm still praying through those different things, just trying to pick up where Jonah was at. But the one thing I see here is that this statement shows me that Jonah knew his God. He knew the severity and the sovereignty of God, and he knew that the storm would not relent until he was cast overboard. Number, verse 13. This to me is one of the most perplexing verses in this entire passage. Because after seeing this obscure man asleep in their boat in this storm, then being casting lots and pointing to him, questioning him, they learn pretty much the culmination of all of their problems are because of this man who's on this boat. And then when they figure out the solution to the problem, he tells them, you know, throw me overboard, that'll solve your problem. I see men that didn't want to do it. So verse 13, even though they know at this point how to get rid of this storm, they decided to row in their own strength to try to get back to dry land, but they could not because God caused the storm to get even more severe. And so here I see a group of mariners, a group of pagans, a group of people that never had the promises that Israel had. They, weren't grown, they, they didn't grow up memorizing the law of God. But we see characteristics of the Father on their heart. Now maybe it was because they just didn't want to murder a man. Maybe that was a, a small bit of the characteristic of their heart. Or maybe even better than that was fear of the Lord. You know, maybe they knew, well, this guy obviously belongs to the Lord. He's obviously caused some great frustration for the Lord, or he's caused this calamity. And perhaps they, were, they just had fear of the Lord and killing one of the Lord's men. But they tried, they tried to save themselves and Jonah, and they couldn't. And therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And essentially what they're saying here, they're relenting and they're saying, Lord, it's very evident that you want us to throw this man overboard. And we don't understand it, but please have mercy on us for essentially killing this man. Because you have set the, you have set the parameters that this is the only option we have. And we see genuine fear of the Lord come from these men. And we learn in the Old Testament that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. No more storm. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So here we see the full purpose of this storm. See, really, when I read this passage today, we all kind of think, in, or in me too, my thought process was, well, this was Jonah's storm. Really, we don't learn about Jonah's storm until next week. Really, this storm in God's sovereign, perfect plan, this storm was really for these mariners on this boat. Jonah's disobedience caused the circumstances, but God's power and sovereignty over all things, over every detail of every schedule of every situation, brought about the repentance of these mariners on this boat. And now, in verse 16, we learn that they not only feared the Lord, but they've made sacrifices and they've made vows. And they have now met the God of the sea and the dry land. And we see now the real purpose of this storm. So this next part of Scripture, well, not Scripture, rather, kind of just where my heart has been. I've been praying and reading through this text for several weeks when I knew that I was going to preach on it. And I've just been looking through Scripture to really try to find a picture of what I just articulated, of one storm of God orchestrating one storm to bring about repentance and belief in a different place. And uh, I wanted to share an example because the more I prayed through it and the more I read through Scripture trying to find another example, the more I realized that the Lord was showing me that there's a very active living example of this in my heart and my life right now. And uh, I will probably get somewhat emotional in it, but I can't help it. So, if any of you guys, also I want to preface that I did speak and get permission for this. Just want to preface that. So, if any of you guys know the Cruz family, the amount of storm that that family has been through with their beautiful baby girl. And there were other issues that God faithfully dealt with as well, but the biggest one being their baby girl. Hallelujah. And seeing just the unfathomable, unfathomable, relentless storm that that family has been in. And to see the love for Jesus that they still have and the strength that God gives them, you'll find CJ a couple Sundays a month here with his baby girl, terminally ill, a lot of times wrapped around, you know, on a harness on his chest, taking out your trash and hugging and loving and having a smile on his face. And there is something so profound 
about that. That the obedience of it in the best way possible just crushes me. And my wife and I, when that diagnosis first came out, we committed just a silly, no, it's not silly, but just a, a small commitment to each other for the sake of the Cruz family that we were going to pray for them every, we're going to wake up early every morning and we we're going to pray for them. And in the midst of that, God has created a prayer life between my wife and I that, we've, that I've, I've prayed for forever, decades. And now we not only pray for Hallie, we pray for other things. We read scripture together. And it might seem light in the size of their storm versus what it's doing for my life. But I can assure you, for me, and from my perspective in my life, it's anything but light. Romans 12.10 tells us to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honor. And CJ and Kate, I just thank you for the amount of love that you have for your baby girl and for Jesus can't imagine the weight of it. <laughs> but the glory that God is going to render for your faith in eternity, you can't fathom the goodness of it. <laughs> There's two paths that I want to open up for an invitation this morning. <laughs> Believer, child of God, me, us, we. If you're running from God knowingly, you need to repent and be obedient. Because if you continue to run in His omnipotence and His sovereignty, you will have your own form of a whale. You will have your storm. Because His gifts and calling are irrevocable. He will carry out His plan. And ultimately, even if you run, He'll conform your heart and He'll bring you back. And he'll, he'll take care of it anyway. So I would just ask the believer this morning to repent and to trust Him. And to be bold. And to be faithful. No matter what it costs you, no matter what it looks like. I mean, we really have to get that. It's not about... It's not about what it looks like in this world tomorrow. We're talking about eternity. And don't you, want to, don't you want to cross over from this life into eternity knowing that you gave everything, just, just like in Hebrews 12, that you ran with endurance, that you finished the race Unbeliever. Maybe you're in a storm this morning. If, you, if you're here this morning and you, you genuinely would say to yourself, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't know this God that He's up there crying and talking about. I know you've heard it a hundred times and I don't want to say anything corny, 
or anything silly, but I want to say that it is not an accident that you hear my voice this morning. It is not an accident that you're here. And I would be willing to bet that you are in a storm. And if you are not in a storm, you've either been through one or one is coming that still you either have no closure from or are dreading as it approaches. And you've looked, possibly, potentially, to every other God. You've cried out to every other God that you or your friends on board your ship know how to call out to. And nothing's worked. And I would challenge you this morning to search your heart and to know that this God that I've talked about today, who not only is sovereign, but that He wills everything. He wills everything. He's in control of the wind of your storm, the rain, the ocean, the way you perceive it, your heart, your ability to comprehend it, it all comes from Him. The wisdom to understand that you're in a storm comes from Him. And there are going to be things as you surrender your life to Him that don't make sense fully. And still don't. As I listen to John Piper preach, if John Piper says, you know, there are certain things in Scripture that I read and my head spins. There's no hope for me to ever understand all of it either. But I would encourage you this morning, unbeliever, that if you truly feel something in your heart this morning, talk to somebody. There's going to be a prayer team that can come forward at any time. Um, There's pastors, there's myself, there's Pastor Cody. there's, There's all kinds of resources here available. But I would challenge you this morning... You never know when the next storm comes might truly swamp the ship. It might truly take the ship out. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. It doesn't matter how much of a mariner you are. It doesn't matter how well you feel like you're equipped to fight this storm. There are storms that come from the Lord that have no salvation but the Lord. And so this morning, if there's anybody here that would genuinely want, that genuinely believes that this God that I speak of is speaking to you, I would ask right now that you would just raise your hand. Again, I don't want to do anything corny. We're not going to drag it out. I don't want to pull or create something out of emotions that, um, that the Lord's not doing. But I want to encourage us as we get into this next song and we, we worship the Lord one more time. I would just encourage you guys to let your heart be opened to what God is saying and to know that even, even in the midst of the storm you will have trial. But He's the author of it. 
So one more time, if there's anybody here this morning who wants to know this God or wants to know anything about this God, as we close, come forward. Reach out to one of us here.